Hello everyone and welcome to Autism Stories. I'm your host Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. Autistic people are the true experts of the autistic experience and Autism Stories is where we interview autistic people and others in the autism community to learn from their stories, experiences, and get their advice. If you'd like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We'd also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review as it will help others to learn about Autism Stories. Before we get to today's guest, I just want to give a shout out to Andrew Camaro and Planning Across the Spectrum for reaching out to me to sponsor Autism Stories. You can learn more about Planning Across the Spectrum by visiting planningacrossthespectrum.com. If you're listening and you would also like to learn about the different sponsorships for the show, go ahead and send me an email. You can find my email in the podcast description of this episode. One of my favorite subjects is autistic joy, and I can definitely ramble on about it for quite some time. In fact, I co-host a whole other podcast, The Info Dump Files, that talks about autistic folks' interests that brings them this joy. However, instead of me talking about autistic joy today, on today's episode, I'm going to talk with Johnny Knapp all about autistic joy and how he has found that in his life. At the end of the episode, we do end up end up discussing the systematic problem of being autistic and interacting with the police. So while it's certainly an important discussion, I just wanted to give that warning if that is something that may trigger you. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Right. Johnny, thanks so much for joining us today. You bet. It took us a while, didn't it? <laughs> yes, we had some technical difficulties, but now, but now we got things going. Uh, right. you know, I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you today because we're going to talk about one of my favorite topics, which is autistic joy. Autistic joy. Autistic joy. Yeah. So, starting off, what, what does autistic joy mean to you? It, it turns out it's a lot simpler than I thought. I remember reading about it a few years ago. Someone mentioned autistic joy. I had no idea what we're talking about. And I can't remember the author at this point either, to be honest, unfortunately. But it's remembering those things as a kid that made me happy. I mean, when I was a kid, and I'm, I'm really talking pre-second grade, very, very early, wandering around outside in nature, looking at ants under a microscope, uh, staring at the stars at night, and believe it or not, I had maybe not a chemistry set, but I had various things down in the basement that were my little pursuits that drove my parents crazy because I never talked to anybody. That's artistic joy for me, just walking around through the world with a sense of wonder, you know, very focused in the moment. Wow, isn't that cool? That's artistic joy. And it turns out, for whatever reason, the family, the education system, the doctors, they tried to educate me away from that wasn't until I was like 63, finally getting diagnosed, that I went and said, wait a second, I haven't been wrong, this hasn't been a drinking fall, I like that stuff, and it made my special interest my job, fortunately, I was retiring at the time, so I found a way to make it happen, but that's autistic joy, that sense of wonder, that sense of wonder, 
everything. And saying the first thing that popped in your head, whether it hurt somebody or not, it's not what you were thinking about. It was just something really cool to say. That's autistic joy. Now, you mentioned you were diagnosed at 63. You're 67 now. And I'm sure along the way you've learned one, two, or maybe 10,000 things that have gotten you uh, to where you are today. Can you, can you talk a little bit about your journey to autistic joy? I, I sure can, and it turned out to be a lot simpler than I realized as I started to say about my experience before. It's gradually learning to feel the things that I needed to feel all along. I mean, um, I've had kind of a rough life. I mean, almost anybody who's had a life of the, quote, high-functioning autistic understands that you're negotiating shark-filled water. If you notice, I don't even keep eye contact over video, by the way, my friend, so I'm glancing them over. I apologize. Um it's not easy to look kind of normal, to pass, to mask, all these kinds of things, because you're constantly screwing up. And dropping that at 63 meant really finally learning all the things my body had been telling me for years. I had a stroke at 30. Um, I have a lot of, I had a lot of body pain. It's gotten much better. A lot of things where my body was, various systems weren't working. You know, my gut didn't work. You know, you know the drill. <laughs> the various things that most of us have, it's our body trying to say, hey, look, things aren't okay. And you're not listening to your emotions. You're not even listening to your goddamn intellect. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you crippled. And that's what uh, this kind of life means. So gradually saying, hey, I'm not really comfortable for more than a few minutes with most people. And I don't have to feel shame about that. What I have to do is find a graceful way to let people know to number one, expect it, and number two, accept that it's not about them in any way, shape, or form. And that took some years, but gradually trying experiments, that one didn't work, I won't do that again, hey, that one went okay, that helped a great deal. But more importantly, just recognizing what made me feel okay, the foods that made me feel okay, the quiet that makes me feel okay, the lighting that makes me all these things that I have been dealing with for decades and couldn't figure out why I was a stroke freaking victim at 30, you know, it all started to make sense. So I started taking out those things that were painful and take and adding those things that actually made me feel pretty good. So I started writing again. I started writing music again. All the things I was interested in, I started watching Star Trek again, okay? How embarrassing is that? All right, 63 years old. Hey, hon, you're not going to believe what Spock says next. Okay, I did the full thing. I let go. I let go. Okay, neurodivergent rebel thinks she had the first one of these Mohawks. I had mine in 2013. Screw her. It's a nice thing. Now, through your journey, you've gotten uh, two master's degrees. One in English. Actually, that's that, that's not quite right. Okay, oh. uh, uh, the honesty is coming so far forward. I have one master's degree in social that I got late in life, I got it around 58 or whatever it was. Um, I have all the coursework and an invitation to join the Columbia doctoral program in English, despite totally flaking out the second semester <laughs> of my master's program. And somehow, I allowed that to become a master's degree at one point in my life, and that is strictly true. How am I doing? Why you're doing great? What? Why'd you go back? And, why'd you decide to go back and get your um, 
your master's in social work. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay, to give you a quick overview of my life, I've, I've probably had at least six careers, and, and it, when I'm challenged, it's, it comes up slightly different each time. But that doesn't include the two dozen or more jobs that I've had. Um, what I tended to do, things would not work in my life. They'd come apart for social reasons, for all the reasons that people like us have troubles, uh, jobs, careers, and all that kind of stuff. And I would reinvent myself time and time again, time and time again. And one of the reinventions was to go back to school at 58. Or again, I'm not getting the time quite right, but in my 50s. Uh, and um, I saw at first a sociology degree because I wanted to study cults. I'd been in a cult, and I thought I wanted to spend my life helping people with cults. Turns out I didn't have those skills. And after that, I had to reinvent myself again. And I decided, well, people reinvent themselves when they go back to school. And that's what I did. Now you mentioned having uh, six different careers. Uh, have, in terms thinking about those careers, uh, did any of them help to bring uh, artistic joy into your life? Most of them did, uh, for some period of time anyway. Absolutely amazed at being a meditation teacher, which is basically the first career I had. I mean, if you don't count college itself as a freaking career, uh, I was a meditation year uh, teacher for many years. It was in a group. That although I think meditation is good for people, there are groups that exploit things like that. And I'm not going to use the word cult. Hey, I didn't use that word. Uh, but it uh, was a difficult experience. That being said, it was one of the best experiences of my life. I lived a kind of very monkish life. Uh, took vow of celibacy at one point for a short period of time, although I was celibate for many years. Uh, taught meditation. Uh, I had a regular routine. I got up every day. I meditated. I went to work and for a large part of that time for that organization later on in career. Came back, meditated. Every every moment of my day was accounted for. Hey, what? Routine worked for me. I got to bed on time. I got up on time. I took care of all my self-care. Some parts of it really were very good. Uh, I forgot what we're talking about. After that, um, I got into publishing shortly after leaving that organization because I had picked up uh, editing schools and stuff like that. Ultimately went that far that I started my own magazine uh, when I was 30 years old that was later sold, sold in McGraw Hill. That was an extraordinarily joyful experience. It just turned out to be too much. For me. I was working with all kinds of creative people, uh, uh, salespeople, math people. It was the high of my life. Uh, and we did very well. We, we did very well in the first year or two. And then uh, I blew out a tire. Uh, from the stress of it all, not even recognizing all the danger signals, had a stroke, had to spend, <laughs> had to spend almost a decade recuperating, uh, and then uh, rediscovered myself uh, with an advertising agency. Uh, did fairly well at that. Uh, blew out another tire after about two years. They, it started being that uh, the decompensations, the burnouts, whatever we want to choose to call these, started coming more frequently as I got older. At first, I could function for six months or, or whatever. Uh, over time, I could only function for a few days at a time before realizing, hey, wow, I'm an uncle. Um, after publishing, um, I went into advertising. After advertising, that went out for quite some time. I had uh, several different agencies work for other people's work, worked for some international advertising agencies briefly. After that, I went back for sociology. Uh, I was a grad student again. I, no, I'm leaving a great number of things. I was a typesetter. I was a union typesetter in the Bay Area for a number of years. 
this gets embarrassing. I did ultimately go back and freelance editor. Uh, I, I went back and got my social work degree. I started uh, one nonprofit and it failed. I started another nonprofit and it failed. I started a third nonprofit and it failed because I don't have those skills. There's nothing I want them to realize. Um, and then I was a, a therapist for some 10 years or so. I was a CPS worker, um, Child Protective Services worker, for about two years. I know I'm leaving some other things out. I, I didn't write down notes for this conversation. Uh, I get very stilted when I use notes. So I hope you can, you can work with the way I'm talking. Now, your blog, uh, Autistic AF, or for the adults out there that are listening, <laughs> Autistic as Fuck, is filled and with... And if there are any children, it's still Autistic as Fuck, okay? <laughs> it's filled with uh, so many posts, you know, blog posts that really give, you know, great insight. What made you decide to start your blog? Uh, mimicry. I mean, I, I think almost anybody who, who has gone through late diagnosis, Doug, I don't know what your experience is. Uh, late diagnosis, one of the first stages is being the ultimate fanboy, as someone wrote to me and became a friend. Um, you can't believe someone else has had a similar experience. And the first experience is, is extraordinary joy that someone understands after all this time, not having family understand, not having friends understand, not having partners understand, nobody, and you feel like you're the exception to creation. Somehow someone really screwed up and you're the only one on earth going through this experience. Then you read someone who talks about memory that's like yours, talks about language difficulties that are like yours, all these various things, and it's extraordinary. And the first thing you want to do is say, hey, I'm like that, I'm like that. And in my case, because I did have some writing skills from advertising and so I started to write about it, and at first just on Facebook, and you get these, these these messages from people. It's like, I never realized I did that. This means so much to me. Well, how could you not want to keep doing that? I mean, talk about autistic joy. To make a connection with someone on the other side of the planet, I make connections with people in India, Australia. God knows why they read me in China, but they do. And you have conversations with them, and they tell you what you're doing is wonderful, and it's actually helping them. And you thought you were going to be a complete failure? And you're going to have nothing to offer the next generation? Dude, I recommend it highly, okay? Blog. <laughs> now, you wrote on your blog that you are a process, not a results-oriented guy, which I think is a, a genius way of living. As I've gotten older, <laughs> I'm really not trying to focus nearly as much as I can on the results, but more about the process. So why is the process so important to you? It ain't philosophy. It ain't philosophy. I want to be clear on that. That is my experience of the world. I like the details. I like shading for half an hour. You know, I like doing a painting, imagining it's going to hang in the freaking Louvre, and going through that experience. Because you know what? I ain't Van Gogh. But I feel like Van Gogh. And sometimes people like it. One of the places um, we spend the most time of our lives is at home. So I think it's really important that we enjoy our, our time there. And an, yeah. an essential aspect of that is how the home is designed, which oftentimes is not um, in the best interest of autistic people. You, you wrote a great blog post about this in which you mentioned that you need your home to work for you. How have you designed your home um, that works best for you? 
Well, you know, the interesting thing is I've talked with a number of people since I put it up there, and it turns out a lot of people have done similar things. But I just think we're all kind of feeling in the dark. There's so much of our autistic life that hasn't been explored yet. You know, so the short version of it is, is one is that I need flow. Okay, I need to make it easily from room to room. Okay, I really do. I have some difficulties with balance. I have some difficulties with being in my head. Um, a lifetime of what they call dissociation as a defense mechanism doesn't suddenly go away just because you suddenly realize you're autistic. I still deal with the world that way. I'm in my own world most of the time. Walking from room to room can be a dangerous experience. <laughs> so the one thing I do is I make sure that the pathway is absolutely clear. I need a lot of space. Space is more important to me than objects. Way more important to me than objects. Um, I have things like I have, as I pass a room, I am able to touch a table or a chair or, or uh, in a trailer they have a bar. Various things because I'm never quite sure when I'm going to suddenly have one of those, I'm not sure where I am, and have to grab something. Okay. So that's one thing. Another thing is sleeping is not the most important thing in my life. I like to sleep, but my bedroom is not an important one. What is important to me? Having a workbench where all my tools are where I can see them. And if I'm working on something, I can reach for it. That's if I'm doing you know, jewelry or something. Or if I'm cooking, everything is displayed in front of me. Because if I don't see things, I don't know, they're there. They go out of my cognitive map. I can have all these wonderful canned goods down there. I'm never going to eat those baked beans. If I can see them, if I can reach them, if I can touch them, if I'm reminded I'm shelving, that kind of thing, that's great. There are so many things I wrote about in that article. Frankly, it's kind of a, it's a challenge for me to write an article that long. It's about 3,000 words. Uh, and it's a bit of a ramble. But a lot of people have found some things along those lines that they found useful. The main thing is, is that it's not an entertainment space for me. I don't entertain. So much, so much of a house is around It's a workspace. It's a place where I have a nook for everything that I need. It has to be easy to get from room to room. That's a big thing. So the fact that we have these neat little narrow hallways, you know, that's not good for me. So I have to work around those kinds of things. I have a feeling I'm going on and on. On, on your blog, you, you wrote about a note to a younger autistic friend, and you wrote that you're trying oh, yeah. to write like a, a grandpa with love. What suggestions do you have for younger folks in order for them to have more autistic joy in their lives? Question everything you've been told. You know, if you're lucky enough to have aware autistic parents, and, and I am surprised to find out how many are out there, I had no idea. Your life might be different, but for those of us who were brought up by a family that didn't really know how to handle it, and being an autistic kid, you don't know how to handle it. Don't accept what you've been told. Doesn't mean you, you won't make the same choices in the end that you were told. But question, think about them. Is it really good for you to handle all the stress of a high-powered management career? There have got to be autists that's the right choice for you. I'm willing to bet there are a lot of people that I should never have gone down that even though I show early success, hey, a stroke at 30, it's rare. And I had one. 
And something that I imagine gives you joy is music as, yeah. you're, as you're part of a band. Uh, the, yeah. the Kimmy and Johnny trailer trash combo. How, hey, yeah. How did that band come about and how does it bring joy to you in your life? You know, the whole part of not talking about is my duty. It's, it's hard to believe that's true. I wouldn't be alive. This amazing person met me through Facebook 11 years ago, 10 years ago. It, it was it was an amazing. She was told told me that she was a musician, and of course she was. But I, at that time, I thought, well, she's got a recording out. You know, she's a star. And to be introduced into her life, to find music through her, uh, and and see that she was just willing to be a character in the world. In the world. This is who I am. I'm, I'm Kimmy. I'm a rock star. Trust me, she wasn't a rock star. <laughs> she was to me. Okay, and she was my freaking mom. Yeah. So that's how I re-experienced re it. I had put it away. It was, it was actually a point of shame. Uh, uh, art and writing and music were okay in my family, um, but there were things that you did as hobbies because they didn't make money and you couldn't provide for a family. And, you know, a lot of very reasonable advice for somebody else. Okay. For me, I should have been hitting that freaking guitar from age 13 on like I was meant to. But I discovered that, that there may be something to the theory that we have development, developmental delays, autism's that uh, we learn so much slower in some ways, new things. But the thing I found out is that my mind was plastic enough that I learned to play guitar in a way that I never knew I was capable of. I was picking it up at age 58 and spending some time with it. I found that, that, that maybe there is an advantage to learning more slowly longer in life. Just my myth gets me through the night, but that's something that seemed true. Um, I learned things about playing music, about art, that I never had suspected I were there. No one in my life ever accused me of being an artist. Trust me. But they occasionally accuse me of it now. Now, for our listeners that... Uh may want to listen and purchase uh, your music, how would they go about doing so? <laughs> We're hard to avoid, okay? I'm very single-pointed in marketing our music, despite its humble nature, trust me. Uh, you can go into any Google of your choice, and I use that with a small g, because DuckDuckGo is where it's at, and enter Kimmy and Johnny. We apparently are the only Kimmy and Johnny in the freaking planet, unless something changed overnight. You will find us on Spotify, on Pandora, on YouTube, uh, Apple Music. I mean, any platform you can imagine. Our, com our, our music is relatively humble. It, it, we're lucky that they accept it, okay? But there's no question that it reflects. I'm going to be careful here with my wife because she, she does not talk of herself to being autistic. Our mutually neurodivergent lives. Uh, the love songs reflect it. Everything else reflects it. We do kind of a folk punk country mashup. Hit Google, you'll find us. And um, is there anything that we didn't talk about today that you wanted to discuss? Yeah, it's a big discussion. We'll only talk about it as much as we can. You know, I think everybody in the world knows that things in America aren't as they should be. And a well, big part of that is the militarization of police. Um, now, this is opinion, okay? Not everybody's going to agree with me. Not every artist in the world worries about this, but I fear this. 
I act strangely. You can see this in this, this video. That honestly, this is how I work. Okay, this is what I look like. I look weird. I have word-like looks. I talk the way I talk. I have the overdramatic gestures. Cops don't like that shit. Okay, cops don't like that shit, and it gets me in trouble regularly. Cops. I don't mean every day, but it does. And it, I'm going to write about how it actually got almost beat up, actually physically attacked, and almost put in the hospital in August. Okay, of this year. It's been difficult to talk about. That's a big concern. Autists should feel free. My own feeling is no person carrying a gun should be answering the human services call, and not just for autists. It's a big, big, big push of mine. It's on my blog. I've got a, a Facebook group about it, tiny, 50 members, 65 members. But there are a number of people out there who are autistic who know what the heck I'm talking about. We act weird. It's not acceptable right now. Could you talk about maybe like one of one or two of those experiences you've had with the police? Sure, sure, sure. I, I am in the northern end of the Bible Belt in America. Uh, strongly Trump, strongly conservative. Their racial history here is not good. To be different, when I first moved here, was acceptable. Over the last six years or so has become unacceptable. This this experience was very straightforward. I was riding my bicycle. Okay. Looking weird, sixty-three years old. I wear a black fedora. Okay, I go around in cosplay all the time. I'm a rock star. Guy pulled me over, wouldn't even show me a badge or anything nature. And I was subject to uh, search, uh, both verbal and physical, uh, and, and so forth, because he knew someone they had a warrant out for someone who looked on. I said, was he 63? Well, you look young for your age. It just went on and on and on. And it was just simply because I was now doing that. That's one thing. Another thing, I'm walking down the road one day with a mohawk in my town. They pulled me over for a drug search. Why? Because I'm 63 and I've got a mohawk. That's all. We have this idea that people with strange hair frequently are holding. It's what the officer said to me, okay? Whenever I've been stopped for a ticket, of course I try to talk my way out of it. And of course I go on and on and on about the detail. And of course I start talking louder and louder because it's very scary to me. No cop likes that. They think you're challenging me. They think all kinds of things that are not happening. I'm going into panic mode. This is how I panic. Sometimes it's slow. Sometimes it's fast. They don't understand. And I have not met the, the, the cop who's willing to admit. Even when I was a social worker, who's willing to admit they hadn't had sufficient training to deal with suicide. They do not have sufficient training to deal with schizophrenia. They have a gun. And in today's America, they use it. And mistakes are mistakes, and they're deadly. You're, you're not the only one that has this opinion. You're, I think you're far from the only one. So you say, you know, maybe, you know, the police should not be having that, you know, that position. Um, what right. Do you have some suggestions of what can be done differently. If it's not the police, I do. I do. then who? I do. The thing is, you got to remember, in essence, this is about my pay grade. Uh, I'm at the level where I know there's a problem. Any solution I suggest is an amateur solution. Okay? We have people who know what they're doing. Okay? But I will tell you what I, what I know. I was a CPS worker. You do learn to know when you have to call in cops and when you don't. And it's when there's threat of imminent violence. Specifically, approaching deadly violence. You know how to approach a home. All this training, you're given a lot of training, okay? 
there are social workers, there are others that are better off making a what they call a, uh, a welfare check. In other words, making sure someone hasn't committed suicide or otherwise hurt themselves. There are a lot of people, and they will, in fact, know when to call in backup. It shouldn't be a guy with a holster. That's not the first person that should be handling those calls. Because they don't understand. They don't. I mean, we have kids who have been killed. There was a kid kneeled on for nine minutes in Louisiana. Why? Because he was freaking autistic and he was acting autistic. I mean, there were, there were four or five cases just this year of people being very, very hard. Oh, geez, Louise, Elijah. I mean, I, I apologize. This is what passion looks like in me. I start losing my abilities. There have been so many people who have been harmed. And it's not infrequent. It's way too infrequent. And there's no reason for it. That's one thing. Uh, I'm not big on registry systems. Okay? Uh, because, in essence, you're giving, at this time in life, I'm giving the police more information about me, and I fear them to begin with. I'm big on these. I'm big on medical bracelets. Okay? This one's... This one needs to be replaced. I bought a cheap one. But something that's clearly uh, noticeable, you lift your arm, you hold this up, and know there's a medical bracelet on here. It says I'm autistic. I may be nonverbal. It, it tells you everything about you, you need to know. That is useful. That is useful. I think I may have run out of my bag of tricks. And, and what do you see the difference between the medical bracelet and the registry systems? It's under my control. Okay, they 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 have um, a database that I don't have reason in America, in my experience, to trust them with a lot of information about me. I just don't. In America, information is largely used for punitive purposes. It just is. You know, I mean, that's my very strongly held opinion. Maybe not everybody will agree with that, but I have no reason for them to know too much about. Me when it could be handled by somebody else. Well, Johnny, I really appreciate you bringing up this topic and, and the conversation. Well, thank you, my friend. Thank you. This was, this was a blast. Thanks to everyone for listening, and thanks so much to Johnny for the conversation. To learn more about Johnny, check out the link in the podcast description of this episode. You can also find a link to book a call to learn how Autism Personal Coach can help you reduce your daily overwhelm and get the things that you need and want in your life. So book a call with me today. If you would like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We'd also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review as it will help others to learn about autism stories. On next week's episode of Autism Stories, we will discuss for the first time tarot cards and the benefits that they may have for you. Talk to you then.